0: If you don't subscribe to our Women's Performance newsletter, you are definitely missing out. It's totally free. So head over to womensperformance.com and subscribe now. That's womensperformance.com. This podcast is a production of Feisty Media. Hi, feisty friends. Welcome to season two. I'm so excited. Um, Okay, I want to kick off this season with an amazing interview I did a few weeks ago with journalist Molly Herford. And we have a bunch of fun episodes coming up that I've already recorded the interviews for. So that includes a pelvic health specialist that I really wanted to have on because I know a lot of women have pelvic health issues, a health coach who gives me advice on managing stress. But first, perhaps the biggest and most important news is that I finally got my hands on some Apre Delight. So Apre is a sponsor of the podcast and that's the CBD intimacy oil. Um, yeah, it's called Apre Delight and well, it was delightful. <laughs> um, all I could say about it is that there's like a change in sensation. That's like, n- like noticeable, but not like overwhelming in any way. And I feel like change can often be a good thing. So yeah, I, Super enjoyed the appray, and I hope you all will as well. Another fun news Feisty Media, we hosted our first annual women's gravel festival called Gone Graveling, and it's the first ever. Women's Gravel Festival. Full stop. Um, so it is the brainchild of the amazing Catherine Taylor, who has is my like right hand woman here at Feisty. Uh, she's basically the one that takes care of making sure that shit gets done. So I say that, but she also has a very entrepreneurial mind as well so she has a lot of amazing ideas and is able to take care of all the details and implement those ideas as well and so one of those one of her brain children her many brain children was this idea of having a festival it it was actually a two day two full days um with an opening evening so kind of like two and a half days um women's gravel festival and what what it was was like this, first of all, the festival idea is so cool to me. I don't know why we don't do more of this. Like imagine like a music festival where there's like different people on stage all day long, except it's like, gravel biking. So you can go to like a skills clinic, and then you can go to a bike packing clinic, and then you can learn about bike maintenance. And then you can just go for a 20 mile ride. Or, you know, on the second day, we went for longer rides, like 62 miles or 45 miles. So there was like, just like bits and pieces to choose from. And I just, I was so stoked about how a couple I was stoked about a lot of things but but first of all just that format it allowed people to stretch themselves maybe with a longer ride or with doing skills that they wouldn't otherwise do if they were just or practice if they were on their own but it wasn't a race format you know so it was like that kind of makes it a little bit more user-friendly in terms of um, people showing up learning together but still getting fitter and stretching themselves in the same with those same kind of like the way you would in a race, but without the like, super ultra competitive vibe. So I loved it. I loved watching people. And oh, the other cool thing was that was seeing like, all the feisty people come together. So you know, I've been running this business for coming up on five years now right so we've got folks coming up to me saying that they listen to the if we were riding podcast which is the podcast I've been doing with Sarah True and before her Kelly O'Mara for the entire duration so we're coming up to five years with that podcast and like longtime listeners showing up with their gravel bikes coming up to me and saying hi like that just made my day definitely a couple listeners from this podcast came up so I want to say thank you so much and for like just coming up and talking to me and saying that you listen, because that really like it means everything, right? Um, because we, I mean, everybody works hard on on the things that they do. I know that, but um, it's very rewarding to hear that um, we have impacted people on that individual level. So super grateful for that. And then of course, our Hit Play Not Pause community from Celine's menopause podcast showed up in droves. Our, our average age was probably above 40 of the women who were there at the festival. So I think there were like 73% were 40 and above, which is mind blowing really. And people came from, I forget how many States. It was like 30 something States. So thank you to everyone who was there and for everyone else, we will be having the gravel festival again next year it's already like in the works and bentonville arkansas if you haven't heard of it it is an absolute hidden gem of a place um i sorry side story but i went to the walmart museum like so like essentially the founders of walmart lived in the founder of walmart lived in bentonville in arkansas and so um he's long gone now but his grandkids super into cycling and that's why there's so many cycling trails and the the way that this family has like spent money on the community is really quite incredible and creating cycling infrastructure um, which of course is right up our alley um, at Feisty Media but also like the art at, at Crystal Bridges at the like indoor outdoor museum space um, and all the amazing sculpture installations It was a really neat place. So if you ever get a chance to go to Bentonville, highly recommend it. For this week's interview, I got to pick the brain of longtime journalist Molly Hereford, who is in love with all things cycling, running, nutrition, and movement-related. Uh, when Molly's not outside, she's writing about being outside and healthy habits of athletes, and she interviews world-class athletes and scientists for the Consummate Athlete podcast and website. Molly also coaches running and cycling, as well as yoga, both online and in real life. She's the author of multiple books, and her most recent project, Shred Girls, is a young adult fiction series focused on getting girls excited about bikes. Molly is obsessed with getting people, especially women, psyched on adventure and being outside. And in her spare time, she runs ultra runs on trails. We, my, One of my favorite parts of our conversation was when she talked about the mental, the way she dug into her mental strength to win a 100-mile ultra overall. Our conversation takes several wacky twists and turns, but I especially loved when she talked about why women are suited to ultra running, how we need to own our athlete identity, the benefits of therapy, and her thoughts on how maybe we are farming out how we feel just a little bit too much. And... Not to mention, her secret pre-race routine might be freeze-dried borscht. Endurance sports should be accessible to everyone, right? That's why we are so excited to be partnering with Motive. Motive is one of the fastest-growing training apps in the world today, with thousands of amateur athletes signing up every month and a nearly perfect 4.9-star rating in the App Store. And use the code FEISTY for two months of full premium access. That's right. You get two months of premium for free. So you quite literally have nothing to lose. So head over to mymotive.com, M-Y-M-O-T-T-I-V.com and use the code FEISTY f-e-i-s-t-y and on a personal note i know the founder of motive and he is driven to make triathlon and all endurance sports more accessible for the athletes who care about their performance but who aren't quite ready for a full-time personal coach if that sounds like you definitely try the app for two months for free you literally have nothing to lose I've personally been running in the Alma Cruz, and I love them. It's the shoe I always wanted and never knew I needed. The fit is perfect in every way. You can get your own pair of headers at hedas.com and use the code feisty20 for 20% off. That's feisty20 at hedas.com and it will all be in the show notes. Hey Molly, welcome to the podcast. Oh my
1: gosh, thank you so much for having me. It's great to be here.
0: Yeah. Are you, am I right that you're from Ontario?
1: So I live in Ontario, but I'm actually from New Jersey.
0: You're Um, from New Jersey, but you live in Ontario, Canada?
1: Yes. Yeah. I married a Canadian, so
0: moved up here
1: a few years ago. Yeah. So if I have like a New Jersey and Canadian accent, that is the reason.
0: Oh, I was wondering, (laughs) okay. Cause like my, my, like figurative tail started to wag when I read the Ontario thing. I'm also from Ontario. Oh, Um, whereabouts? uh, Kitchener, actually.
1: Okay, my brother-in-law and sister-in-law live in Kitchener.
0: Whoa. Okay, where do you live?
1: Uh, So I'm up in Collingwood, so it's like Toronto's ski town. Um, Oh, I know
0: Collingwood. So my dad lives in, now we're like, the the listeners are like, (laughs) what are you talking about? (laughs) Canada? Who lives in Canada? (laughs) Yeah, my dad lives in that area. He lives in Wasaga Beach. So I spent a lot of time, I've been to Collingwood a lot. Oh
1: my god. I'm obsessed with Wasega Beach, and which makes perfect sense because I'm from New Jersey. So like grew up with, you know, the Jersey shore as my not my stomping ground, but like I was very aware of it. So moving up here, realizing that like the Wasega, Wasega Beach is the Jersey Shore of Ontario.
0: (laughs) It totally is. It's amazing. So I I love it. It's one of my favorite places. (laughs) Okay. For those those people who have no idea what we're talking about right now, the Sega Beach is like a, I don't know, it's like a summer, it's like a beach where all the teenagers go for the summer. I don't know. How
1: would you describe it? Like a tiny, tiny microcosm of the Jersey Shore show. (laughs) Uh, But it is technically the world's longest freshwater beach. So it actually has like fabulous just like beautiful sand huge sandy beach like we love it for running it's and yeah it has amazing parks so we're we're on kind of the niagara escarpment so we have the bay to one side of us the georgian bay and then on the other side we have this amazing you know 300 meter ski hill it's it's tiny compared to you know colorado but it's a great ski hill and like tons of trails and it's really just you can do pretty much any outdoor activity you possibly want in this area which is why my husband was here and why, uh, you know, we eventually decided this was where we wanted to be. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah. And it's,
0: it's amazing. Yeah. I love that. I can, when I go visit my dad, I, I cross country ski, like out the front door in the winter, right? That's what I trails.
1: say. I'm like, mm-hmm. I
0: literally walked down my steps,
1: put on my skis and then very poorly proceed to just <laughs> ski all over town and on like our town trails and stuff. And like, we have great cross-country ski facilities. I'm just not good enough to warrant going to them. So I'm just like stumbling my way around for right. you know, five miles or so. And then I'm happy as a clam. Yeah. Well, we have that
0: in common as well, because that describes my cross-country skiing abilities. Like, as well.
1: It's more like I'm running with skis on with like poles to kind of help me go faster, but it's, it's not good. Like no one is, <laughs> no one is impressed by me. Not getting any awards just yet. Yeah. I hear you.
0: And just like before we are going to talk about women's performance, but how did
1: you meet your husband? Uh, Actually at uh, China's first UCI cyclocross race, uh, almost nine years ago, we were, we were both there. He was racing. I was covering it. Uh, Uh We talked for like two seconds and uh, he got on the bus and did like go home. And he's like, does anyone know who that girl I just talked to was? And luckily someone knew me. And he was like, I think I'm going to date her (laughs) eight and a half years later. <laughs> wow, that's a so, cool yeah. story. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So yeah. It it beats like the you know typical online or you know met in bars. I keep t- I keep trying to get my my younger sister who is still single. Um, I keep being like, you have to go to bike races. You have to go to like five. <laughs> like this is how you meet people. Right. So <laughs> going out and doing
0: things. Imagine. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, okay. Let's let's go back to your childhood a little because I read somewhere that you were a bit of a bookworm. Um which clearly like plays out in your career as a journalism and a writer, but like, when did you start to find joy in moving your body as well? Oh my gosh. I was the, yeah,
1: I was the ultimate bookworm. I was the kid who, you know, would pretend to be sick during the mile run in gym class just to get out of doing it. Like you could not pay me to join a sports team. My mother once took me to like T-ball, I think I was probably four or five years old. And I just sobbed hysterically until the coach was like, I can't do anything with this. And my Mom had to take me home. Um, Did not care for sports one bit. Liked being outside. Like, I, Mm -hmm. my dad was really into hunting. So I'd go hunting with him. I played outside with my neighbors. I loved the outdoors. Hated anything athletic. Mm -hmm. Uh, Really, really chafed against the idea of having any kind of identity that would be at all athletic. Like, that just did not work for me because I was a bookworm. I was going to be a writer. That was it. Um, I knew that since I was two years old. Um, And then, yeah, it wasn't until I was, probably like, I think I was 19. uh, when I first was like, huh, I feel like crap all the time. I should probably do something about that. And, uh, luckily for me, my, my RA, my freshman year of college was a very serious Ironman triathlete. Um, and he was like, oh, you know, exercise helps with that. And I was like, oh, that sounds terrible, but tell me more. He's like, I do triathlon. And I was like, okay, I'll do triathlon. Um, (laughs) and, Apparently my personality is like a zero to 300 kind of thing. So and that's what I was going to comment me. on. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It didn't occur to me that I could just like, I don't know, go to the gym for like, you know, short amounts of time or anything like that. I was just like, oh, okay. Triathlon. So I guess, you know, i I will start, uh, you know, training for this. And, uh, it took me like, I think three years before I did my first Ironman, but I started triathlon like that year, like from not being able to run a mile.
0: I was just like, okay, well, I'm going to learn this. Wow. (laughs) Okay. First of all, I just want to comment on how insightful it is like as a 19 year old to actually take that feedback of like someone saying, oh, being able to articulate that you kind of feel like crap. And then when someone says, oh, maybe exercise will help with that, that you actually take that advice and do it. You know, like, I feel like I've said that to quite a few people who haven't, who've been (laughs) slower on the uptake, you know, like what clicked in your brain there? think it was that,
1: or I would have to actually like clean up my diet or something. And, uh, I really like, I, I was standard American diet, like all the way, right. uh, you know, bagels and Mountain Dew for breakfast, uh, which is a very embarrassing thing to say on a podcast, but there you have it. Um, mm-hmm. and the exercise, like adding exercise was much easier to me than like taking away some of the foods that I was aware were really crappy for me, but mm-hmm. I really, really enjoyed. Um, and I mean, honestly, like my dad had been really into cycling and into triathlon, like back in the eighties when it was like really new and really like, you know, gritty and weird and cool. Um, and I think there's probably some part of me that was like, Oh, like there's just something in here that's like striking a chord with me. And I don't understand why, right. but I'm kind of here for it. Yeah. Um, So, yeah, I don't know. It just, for
0: whatever reason,
1: (laughs) it just occurred to me that that seemed like a good idea.
0: (laughs) Yeah. So triathlon first. And then at some point along the way, did you like, were you kind of good at cycling or you enjoyed it more? What was the catch with cycling?
1: With cycling, it was really just a a matter of opportunity in that. uh, So I was at Rutgers university and Rutgers had a a cycling team. And Mm -hmm. luckily my RA was like, oh, you should go to them to, you know, get better at being on the bike. And I was like, okay, I'll, you know, I guess I'll go to this group ride. Um, so, you know, I showed up for the first group ride in like, you know, leggings and a hoodie and it was like 10 degrees out and I was utterly unprepared for it. Uh, Mm -hmm. but they still were just these wonderful, wonderful young men who were just like, sure. You can ride with us here, like borrow my gloves, borrow my jacket. And just made me feel so, so at home, Mm -hmm. uh, that, I honestly, even if I hadn't enjoyed riding bikes, they were so welcoming that I was just so in love with the sport because of them. Uh so when they were like, We need a we need a woman to race cyclocross because uh the um the conference we were in, the collegiate conference, had just shifted their point system mm-hmm. to where men's points and women's points were equal. So even if you had 10 guys and no women, you'd end up with like a mac- like a very low maximum points you could oh. make in the weekend. Mm-hmm. So, but if you had like one, one woman you could do really well. right? They were like, here's a cyclocross bike you can borrow. You're going to race cyclocross. (laughs) I was like, I don't know what that is. Um, So I showed up to like the grossest, muddiest, just worst race in the entire universe, which I think is how everyone talks about their first cyclocross race. We're like, "Yeah, it was horrible. It was painful. I hated every second of it. I was covered in mud by the end. My bike was wrecked. And then I couldn't wait to sign up for the next race. I was just like instantly hooked on that. Um, and it just kind of continued from there. And I mean, I kept doing triathlon and, uh, you know, I've, I've shifted between being a serious bike racer to now I'm actually back to, uh, I guess not back to because I never really got into it. Now I'm more into the running side of things um, for for what I do do for fun. Um, (laughs)
0: Fun, like, not profit. like run hundred miles, right <laughs> like, like run a hundred miles. miles. Yeah. <laughs> I feel like we're like we're whipping through your athletic career here just like
1: <laughs> <laughs> I know it's a little bit of whiplash if I start thinking about it too much. Like yeah. going through it really quickly. Uh, yeah, I tried pretty much every cycling discipline. It turns out I'm not actually very good at bikes. Like I'm quite good at, like I'm much better at running than I am at biking and yeah. I was okay at triathlon but yeah. running is apparently uh, running really, really far. Is maybe what I'm like built for. I don't but know. You're
0: running. Yeah. So am I right that you set the overall course record for the outlaw 100? Is that yeah. correct? Like you yeah. beat the boys kind of like situation? I beat the
1: boys. Yeah. The, uh, the second place or the, the first man to finish. So he got like, you know, the first, first place men's award, uh, finished like four hours behind me. I kind of love that. Is that, is that like, <laughs> there's something really strange about like when you finish and you're the first person to finish and you you get handed like the first women's place. Mm-hmm. It just feels kind of strange. Yeah. But I'm all, like, I'm
0: also kind of happy with it. But I'm like, should I get, do I get both? Like yeah because it's like yeah it needs to be the first men's award or the first women's award right if you have an overall first place you can't just have a, the second one be the women's award because yeah. that's it's, yeah so have, cases very, like that's not gonna work yeah. very
1: complicated feelings on it because the assumption is always that the first place man mm-hmm. was faster than the first place woman and i think that's mm-hmm. that's changing a lot especially in the ultra scene like this, yes. I think, is like the third race that I've won, like, outright, like, just as the overall. Oh, wow. I mean, they were tiny local races with not a lot of people in them. Still winning for the is other winning. ones. Yeah. yeah, winning's winning. Um, <laughs> And yeah, each time it kind of strikes me like as like a little, a little weird when I'm getting that award and I'm not really sure how I feel about that. Like, is this, is this like a personal issue for me or is it just like society has like made me feel that like women's is like not as fast as the men's. So why aren't they giving me the men's one? I don't know.
0: (laughs) Yeah. With the overall, like I've heard a lot of interesting stories in that space. Like, so for example, like where, um, I used, I lived in Scotland for a long time right? And they have like the Highland Games and all the little towns. And like, they'd have, they'd have this like local running race in the hills, right? And they would give out award prize money for the overall, the top five overall. And then the first woman or something the, I, I there was something like that. Like there was a weird prize money division, of course, because mm-hmm. sport does weird things with prize money sometimes. And then and a friend of mine went into the race and came fourth overall. And they gave mm-hmm. her the prize money for first woman, which was less than the guy behind her who got the fourth place overall prize, even though he was fifth overall, like it was this weird, like what? Yeah. Wow.
1: Yeah. Like that, that's exactly like the complication that's happening now. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Very weird. And th- this is when a, that one just feels outright wrong. Yeah. That one seems yeah. much more obviously like this is a problem.
0: <laughs> yeah. It, this is a good complication for women's sport to have. Yeah. Right. Um, and I love it. I, I feel like we should have a sub segment of the podcast. That's like the girls who beat the boys, but it feels a bit petty. So like, I know, right. <laughs> I, just, I just do it quietly. I don't announce it, but <laughs>
1: you know, I know. I, yeah, it's, it's definitely like a, a funny feeling and that, that race in particular was like awkward because you know, you, you don't really get a podium, right? Like, it's not like I even got to like stick around to see the, the guy finished because right. frankly, I was very tired and I wanted to not be standing anymore okay, was he several hours behind you like four so hours yeah four hours. <laughs> but let me tell you I raced the last 20 miles completely convinced that he was closing and was like right mm. on me because it was a weird like looped course mm-hmm. uh, where you actually passed through the start finish like 10 times in the course of the race and mm-hmm. as we started the last lap there were these two guys that were coming out and like or coming into the finish as we were like heading out on the last lap. So they were, you know, maybe only a couple minutes behind us. And I couldn't see them because, you know, you have headlamps on. So I was like, mm-hmm. oh, no, that's probably the guy who's right behind me. Mm-hmm. So I'm like, you know, oh. hiking my little heart out, trying to like, speed up because I'm convinced that he's right there. So. Yeah.
0: Probably Probably, helped you. Probably helped
1: me. Yeah. Mentally, I think that kept me in the game and from you know sitting down on the trail and just being like, I'm tired. I've got time to I've got time to
0: kill. I'm gonna take a nap. Yeah. Do you think that women are more suited to the long distance stuff in general? I genuinely do. And I I have like
1: several thoughts on why this is. I think part of it is we're a lot more willing to just like be strategic and like chill about it in the first part because I noticed Oh, interesting there were there were a few there were a couple guys who had gone out with me who one guy like bless his heart he was like 21 years old and we're going and we're like 15 miles in and I'm like chatting away with him he's probably like oh my god make this girl shut up but I keep chatting and it turns out he's like never run over 30 miles like he's never done a race over 30 he's never done anything other than one 30 miler and he just like came down for a hundred miler So as you do as you do. Yeah. Uh So I think it's, it's like that, um, that stat where it's like guys will like more, a higher percentage of guys will apply to this job that they're like utterly unqualified for. Right. Yes, absolutely. (laughs) Whereas women won't apply unless they know they're actually like almost overqualified for that job. I think Uh that's true of hundred milers. Like, yes, you have a lot of, a lot of guys that will go into them. Just like, I can run. I did a 5k that one time. I can definitely do this. Uh And you have women who are like, like meticulous training plans for three years prepping for it (laughs) to be ready. And even then we're still on the start line going like, Oh my God, I hope I can finish this thing. Like, Oh, even if I can just walk it in, that's going to be good. (laughs) Which was, which was me on the start line. Um, So I think that's part of it is like men have this weird, like aggressive confidence that they can just go out and just like smash it. And women are much more like, like, okay, I'm just going to stay within my own, my own comfort zone. This is fine. (laughs)
0: Yeah. And a proper pacing. I I can't imagine a a space that it would apply more (laughs) than than a hundred mile
1: ultra run. Which is really weird because if you've never done one, which I hadn't, you don't really know what the heck proper pacing is. Mm. Like, like I, you know, suddenly I was like in first place and I was like, oh crap. Mm -hmm. Have I just epically overpaced myself? Like I, I don't know if I'm, if I don't know if I can do this for another 80 miles, I've never done this before. I feel okay. You took the lead after 20 miles?
0: Yeah. Oh, that is a bit
1: scary. (laughs) It's terrifying. Yeah. And like, I wasn't positive that I had the lead. I was like, kind of like, I passed one guy who was out doing the 50 mile and, you know, you pass people on this loop. So I passed pretty much everyone racing Mm -hmm. at some point or another. And he was like, oh, you're in the lead. And I was like, what? No. No thought he was like hallucinating or something, Mm -hmm. Um, but then it started like clicking and I was like, well, there weren't that many guys ahead of me. And I think I've passed them all. So crap. Am I in the lead? Which, yeah, like talk about like bringing up imposter syndrome, right? You're like 20 miles in, you have 80 miles to go. You've never done this before. And suddenly you're leading and you're just like, no, I must've messed this up. Like, this is going to go horribly downhill very soon. (laughs) (laughs) This
0: can't be sustainable. Um, but, but it was, and that's like, you're asking <laughs> yourself to sustain that mental belief in yourself for like, not just, it's like what, 20 hours that you had yeah, <laughs> like 23 uh, hours. Yeah. <laughs> what did you tell yourself?
1: Um, honestly, a lot of just like math problems in my brain, just trying to like, <laughs> like, not it out. Like you know, if I walk, th- if I like had to walk, how many hours would this take me? Or, you know, mm-hmm. um, I really just, I kept trying to kind of go through this, like, series of like positive self-talking mantras where I'm just like, you're born for this. You're born for this. You're doing mm. fine. You're feeling fine. Um, and, you know, there was one point where I was like, oh my gosh, I'm starting to get really tired. And then I was just like, no, no, you're not mm-hmm. snap out of it. And I just like, wouldn't let myself go to any dark places. Mm. I think I just like slammed that wall, like a wall down in my brain that I was just like, nope, we're just not going dark. Yeah. <laughs> which for like a very gothy little girl was a, a very strange thing for me to not be going dark. I'm just like uh-huh. right,
0: doesn't make sense, but. I wish we could bottle that. Cause I think that's what everybody wants to know how to do. Like you, and then you've do, you're doing it in the middle, like in the depth, the darkest depth, right. In an ultra race, like just being able to shut down those negative voices, right. There must be, you said that you thought like you're born for this, or I'm born for this. There must be part of you that does believe that you're born for for it. I think so.
1: I, yeah, there. Yeah. When I, when I hit like, you know, 30 miles feeling like it was just like a casual, just like jog, which sounds like a ridiculous thing to say. Mm -hmm. Um, but feeling just like super good and just like smiling away. I was just like, okay, this, this might actually be a thing. Mm -hmm. Um, and then as the miles kept going, I kept, you know, feeling more and more into that. I also admit like I'm like Born to Run is one of my like absolute favorite books of all time. Mm-hmm. Chris McDougall, I, we've had him on uh, our podcast a couple of times. And I'm just like, like this poor man, I'm like a little obsessed with him. Mm-hmm. Um, and I reread chunks of it every night before I have a big race.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: So I actually have like these passages from there that are just in my head that are describing mm-hmm. like some of the top women, like performances in it, like Anne Transom at Leadville, like back in you know the nineties. Um, or, you know, just like Jen Shelton being like, just so excited and happy to be running. And I just literally replay those passages in my head as I'm running. Mm-hmm. And yeah, that kind of changes my mindset. And honestly, like my husband and my, my dachshund were sitting in the van. They were there for 24 hours crewing mm-hmm. and, you know, you're out running and you want to feel bad for yourself because you're like feeling a blister starting to form or you're like feeling a little tired or like you have indigestion or your gut's not working. And you're just like, no, like, you know, Peter drove down to Oklahoma so I could do this <laughs> this race. He's up mm-hmm. in the middle of the night. He's not a good person to be up in the middle of the night. He's like me, we need our sleep. Um, and he's just staying up all night and he's like ready to do whatever mm-hmm. I need him to do. And all I need to do is keep running. Mm-hmm. So I'm gonna keep running. So I think when you can kind of shift your perspective to that
0: side, yeah, it makes a big difference. Yeah, just getting outside of yourself a little bit um mm-hmm. as a way to keep positive. Yeah. Yeah. Um, okay. Let's talk a little bit about women's performance. I feel like yeah. you kind of like, we take a multidisciplinary approach. We have our four pillars, physiology, nutrition, mental health, and culture. And I feel like a lot of your background kind of embodies that multidisciplinary approach, like the mm-hmm. stuff you've just been talking about with, the, with your mental skills, but also you're a running coach, cycling coach, your nutrition certified yoga, you know, you bring all these things together. So like how, what are the things that you've learned about getting like the best out of your body in those four areas. So I don't know maybe let's start with culture maybe because I feel like that's um, a little bit more like intangible. Like how yeah. have you engaged with the culture that surrounds you and in what way has that culture been supportive or not supportive?
1: Yeah, when I was thinking about this pillar it really kind of made me think a lot about the topic I talk a ton about is this idea of identity and athlete identity and embracing that, especially I think, You know, as women in general, it's sort of tough to do. But, you know, for me, like I said, when I was a kid, I was a bookworm. It didn't occur to me that I could also be an athlete. And I think we get really kind of shoehorned into these identities, especially from like a really young age, um, where we just don't believe that that's a label that can be added to to the things that we do, right? Like, okay, I can be a writer, I can be, you know, a, a bookworm, but athlete doesn't really make sense with those. Um, You know, I I like being cozy on the couch. That doesn't really work with like going out and and doing my workout. I want to be, you know, wearing this, this like cute outfit, but like, when the hell am I doing my hair when I have just, you know, I'm like training twice a day, which is still a a question that I have not yet figured out. (laughs) Lululemon's only a partial answer. <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly. Big headphones and working from home for podcasting is the yeah. other the other right. side <laughs> of that coin, really. Um, but so when I, I you know I've kind of explored this idea of identity for a, a long time, and that's actually how I ended up writing the the Shred Girls, uh, my fiction mm. middle grade series, that's mm. you know about getting girls on bikes, and it was sort of with this idea that these girls were all going to kind of come together and not necessarily be cyclists like they weren't identifying as cyclists kind of before they they came together and formed this little shred girls uh, girl gang here Mm -hmm. Um, because that's exactly how I felt and I was like oh man if someone had given me the permission to be both things when
0: I was younger Mm. that would have that would have been a game changer yeah or even like giving ourselves permission Mm -hmm. You know, because sometimes I feel like, oh, I don't want to confuse people, you know, (laughs) like I don't want them to, or I don't want to feel like I'm bragging, like, oh, I'm a, I'm an elite athlete and I run a company or, you know, like sometimes I just, just keep quiet and let them assume I'm one or the other. Exactly. A million times.
1: Yes. And Mm -hmm. I will say like up here in Collingwood, like I'm surrounded by women who are, you know, they're all working normal, like nine to fives, they're teachers, they're, you know, doing all these things. And They're all just badass runners and cyclists, and Mm. they're just doing amazing things. And they're like unapologetically athletes. So I think for me, like the biggest thing culturally has been to accept that I am also an athlete. I get to call myself that sometimes. Um, Mm. And, you know, trying to help other people kind of lean into that identity. And I think the more you can lean into the athlete identity, I think the more the the physiology, the nutrition, the mental health pieces all kind of like fall into place. Right. right? Because if you're if you're kind of fighting against the idea that you're an athlete because you're so busy being, you know, a teacher, a mom, a writer, a whatever you know, that makes it really hard to pay attention to your nutrition the way an athlete would. It makes it hard to pay attention to your training and your recovery the way an athlete would or take care of your mental health the way an athlete would. But if you can start with like, I am an athlete, it's a lot easier to have those other pillars kind of fall into place.
0: Yeah. Okay. So let's talk about the other pillars. We talked a bit about uh, mental health and your mental strategies, but what else would you recommend from what, from your, the lessons you've learned? as far as mental health goes. Yeah. Or even just mental skills Mm -hmm. broadly. Mm -hmm.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I cannot stress the benefits of therapy, like as even a preventative (laughs) measure enough. Mm -hmm. Um, I actually just feel like the first time in my life went to therapy back in the fall a few times and it was really like my, my therapist actually kind of referred to it as like more like tune-up sessions. Like, you know, you go to get your oil changed on your car every so often. Mm -hmm. Um, So even if you don't have any major thorny issues that you're currently grappling with or stuff you're struggling with, honestly, finding a therapist just to chat with is super, super helpful. And it could be Mm -hmm. a sports psych, but I just found like a regular therapist in town that I really liked. And it was, it was great. And I feel like now if something does come up that I'm like struggling with, like it's, it's happened a couple of times where I had like a little thing with work that I wanted to deal with or, you know, having a, you know, you know, issues with my mother or something as, as we all do, as we Um, do, as we do, um, you know, she already knows me and has a bit of a background on me. Mm. So I think that's actually like incredibly helpful is knowing that I don't have to start from scratch. Mm -hmm. Right. Cause I think that's the really intimidating part when you're struggling with any kind of like anxiety or depression or anything like that. You're like, The idea of having to like find a therapist, find one that you Mm -hmm. like, probably go to a couple, find one that takes your insurance. If that's a thing, find Mm -hmm. one you can afford, if insurance is not your thing. Um, And then just the sitting down and like kind of giving them the the basic bio Mm -hmm. is just, it feels exhausting and it feels like way too much, but to have that kind of already in the bank. So I can just be like, okay, I need an appointment. Like, cool. We're in, she doesn't need to like hear my whole backstory. She already has it. It's just so, so helpful. So yeah. And not recommended enough. <laughs>
0: yeah. I'm, what I'm hearing is echoes of like having a team and forming a team, which is something that actually hasn't come up yet as a performance kind of strategy. So like have the right team, right. Have the right person helping you with your nutrition or your training program, but also your mental health. Right. And you're 100%. so right about it. Like that, having that person who already knows you so valuable. Oh, it's
1: so good. Uh, and then I'd also like to throw a meditation in there. I'm not great at it. I don't think most people are, but I try to make time for it every day, like a few minutes. Um, I've actually found like, I love my, my compression boots. I'm not sure how, how much they do for me physiologically, but they make me sit yes. and like not move for, yes. for an hour. So that gives me time to, I mean, work on my computer, but also just like, okay, well, I'm stuck here.
0: I'm going to meditate for 10 minutes. Yeah. <laughs> I used to use that strategy also with the, with the compression boots, like just like so get good. myself lined up with my computer and my coffee and everything. So I could mm-hmm. actually, and it actually, it's very, it created this insight for me was like, oh, actually I don't sit for an hour. Like, I think I do. I have this sense that like I sit on my computer for, for hours and hours, which I do, but I move around a lot mm-hmm. right? and like actually being forced to just sit there really valuable. Yeah. <laughs> Um, okay. How about your nutrition? How do you handle your nutrition?
1: Yeah. Uh, well, this is also the team thing. Um, mm-hmm. So I, I have actually worked with a, a couple of dietitians. I've gotten, you know, blood work done in the past and then sent it to them, just kind of see how I'm doing, see how things are going. Um, my biggest thing with nutrition tends to be that I, I really refuse to use a scale anymore. Like I've had ebbs and flows with it my whole life, but I don't think I've been on a scale in over two years now. Mm. Um, And for me, that is just so much, so much healthier. Mm -hmm. Um, So I'll start with that. um, And then I'll Mm -hmm. also go to really just trying to do the basics. Like, you know, I've, I've written about food for so long and it seems like every, every like serious expert always comes back to sort of these basic principles, like Mm -hmm. focus on eating enough protein, especially when you're training hard, make sure you're eating a lot of veggies, a lot of like healthy carbs, you know, there's room for, for unhealthy carbs in there too. If you're training a lot, make sure you're getting healthy fats. Uh, we all sort of know the basics of nutrition. If you've, Mm -hmm. if you've been in sport for a couple of years, um, or, you know, you've, you've read articles in, in most, runner's world, bicycling, like most sports things, uh, mm-hmm. we all generally know what we should be eating more of and less of. So I just try to do that about 80% of the time, but I still eat dessert most nights and uh, right. really focus on fueling my workouts. That's actually been the biggest thing that I've had to do in like the past few years. And it's something I started doing when we were coaching a lot of youth camps, I'd be, you know, doing these like six hour rides with these like teenagers. Um, and there's sort of twofold reasons that fueling became more important to those things. And reason number one was like the coach can't bonk. Like it does not look good for you right. if you're like halfway up a mountain, you know, on a five hour ride and you're the one that's like dragging because you forgot to eat.
0: Yeah. And you need your brain to function at that point because you're a responsible adult.
1: <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like one, one girl on the campus actually like at the end of it, she's like, you were so like, even no matter what was happening, like you're like, your attitude is just like always really calm. And I was like, yeah, it's cause I'm eating. Like it's a hundred percent because I'm eating. If I wasn't, I'd be a nightmare to ride with. Yeah. Uh, I know this. Um, and the other reason was to just show the, the girls that eating is actually like a positive thing. Like, so even, even around the rides, like my breakfasts, my like post ride, my during ride, like I was eating a ton just to make sure that they saw like, here's this woman who's like, Doing pretty darn good on the bike and in sport, and she's eating a lot of food because um, I think they they get all these mixed messages about you know having to drop weight as as women in sport and you know needing to look a certain way or whatever. And I'm like, okay, well, we also need to eat to perform. So, uh, yeah, mm. being on those camps has actually made me feel much better because it forced me to have to actually do that to be a good example. <laughs> yeah,
0: and I'm hearing you. Sorry, if you can you hear the seagulls. That are like, <laughs> so, like sorry, sorry. Listen, like I don't know so, if we're in like a horror so, movie so, or like what's happening. <laughs> My office is very near like the harbor here in Victoria, and Amazing. so occasionally we get like seagulls like really close to the roof here. Um, Anyway, I hope that our listeners will find it to be an add-on and. Uh, yeah. Yeah. It's like nature sounds. It's very soothing. Right. That's what we're going to go with. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm actually super relating to what you're saying, about eating, like, even as like, as a pro Ironman athlete, like always, always. And when I used to coach, I would tell people like, we often, um, sort of go back to like blaming ourselves mentally if we're not feeling motivated, especially while we're training or racing. Like if something's starting to break down and you're not sure about, if you can make it or if you're thinking negatively, like it's probably food, like nine times out of 10, you just haven't eaten enough. You just need some carbs. Like a hundred like, percent That just works so much for a dirt <laughs> sport.
1: <laughs> yeah, no, absolutely. And I, I will say actually during, during my hundred miler, whenever I was even starting to have like the hint of like being bummed out, I would take a sip and I, I was using tailwind because I know that it works for me. I know I can take in a ton of calories that way. I know I'm not great with eating solid foods because you know, it takes time to open them. You have to remember to do it, et cetera. But mm-hmm. when you can drink 800 calories in a liter and a half, like that's, that's great. Um, and every time I did that, I was like, oh,
0: okay. Yeah. It was, I was thirsty. or hungry. This yeah. is fine. You're yeah. fine. <laughs> yeah. The other one it used to be for me is, uh, like sodium, just straight up sodium. I could, I would start to feel fuzzy in the head, you know, in a hot race and then just taste. I, all I had to do was taste salt and I'd feel better. Like oh, I'm not I'm not the loser that my brain was just telling me I am. I actually just need salt. (laughs) Uh,
1: Yeah, yeah. Now everyone who knows me will will know that salt sparks so much joy for me. Um, Mm. People will like sit and watch me at meals like salting food, and it's it's excessive. But luckily, (laughs) luckily for me, I think I sweat most of it out. So
0: so far so good. No blood pressure issues yet. (laughs) Nice. Salt sparks joy. Yeah. Um, okay. And then in the physiology department, in terms of your training, um, how do you, like, how do you decide your training program? And do you work at all with your own, like with your cycle or your female physiology? Is that something that you, that you take into account with your training program or not really? Oh, see, this is, this is like an interesting thing. So
1: um, I do. So the biggest thing that I've done for my physiology side in recent years is actually sticking to a training plan. Cause I was definitely like a plan hopper and like utterly uh-huh. uncoachable. Right. Um, but now I actually work with uh, David Roche. He's an amazing like, ultra endurance coach. Um, and he has a very simple like Excel spreadsheet for me. So I don't have to like go into any different apps or anything. I just write something in my Excel spreadsheet every day. It's very easy. For some reason, it works with my brain. So mm-hmm. following that has been very helpful. Right. Um, <laughs>
0: actually follow the program. It's
1: like step one. Yeah. It doesn't matter what program it is. Like we're, we're very fond of saying, uh, you know, anything works for six weeks, but you mm-hmm. have to actually follow the darn thing. Um, right. and it's, you know, there's always some kind of shiny new, like group run or ride or something that's going on that I'd love mm-hmm. to be doing, but, like, no, you need to stick to the actual training program if you want mm-hmm. to, to perform. So that's been a, that's been a big thing there. Mm-hmm. Um, as far and taking rest days has also been part of oh, that, yeah. uh, part of that same issue of being untrainable and not following plans. Mm-hmm. Um, as far as the, the female physiology thing goes. So this is a thing that I actually kind of want to, to get into more now that I actually have, like, so here's the issue we're going to get really, really granular here for a second. Uh, mm-hmm. So I actually have uh, an IUD mm-hmm. and I have one of the, the, it's the Canadian version. It's called like the Kylina. So it's like a tiny mm-hmm. version of the Marina. Uh, so think it that's is what I have too. Okay. So it's a hormonal yeah. IUD. So yeah. as a result, I actually don't get a period at all. Mm. So it is very hard to like do anything within my cycle because I don't actually know when my cycle is. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, so it is something that I'm really interested in though. And I did actually just get an aura ring and now that one is doing cycle tracking. Um, mm-hmm. uh, so now I just need to remember to actually like start wearing the aura ring again, as you can see, <laughs> I am not wearing it. So clearly right. I have not gotten to this point yet. It's very uncomfortable for me. Like mm-hmm. I, I, fir- I started wearing it and I was like, I can't get used to this. So I stopped and now I need to get back to it and just like give it a week to get like adjusted to, cause it's, mm-hmm. you know, it's a burly ring. Mm-hmm. Um, And I'm hoping that that will actually like help me figure out when my cycle actually is. So I can start kind of like trying to correlate, you know, do I actually have training stuff that like could shift to better work with it? Yeah. So it's on the to-do list, but I think this is a huge issue for a lot of women I know who have the IUD that don't get a regular cycle anymore Mm
0: -hmm. uh, because we have no indication. (laughs) Right. Or maybe it's just like, I noticed when I got my IUD, once I settled into it, you know, that it... Like that actually some of the more negative parts of my cycle for my training, like that, those couple days right before my period were mitigated by like whatever, by the low dose progesterone or whatever's happening Mm -hmm. there. Um, So I, I basically like, it basically helped me to perform Mm -hmm. better in those days. So it's like, why? create a problem. If there's not one, like if you're training well and you're thriving and you don't necessarily need to track your cycle, then exactly. Yeah. So that is kind of the tricky part. And I actually really wish that
1: more people would be like, would actually speak towards the IUD because I think there's always two discussions. There's like, you talk about birth control and like the problems with it. And then you talk about like, okay, so you're not on birth control here. We're going to talk about like the regular cycle when we're off of hormonal birth control, but for, for a lot of female athletes, like, we have to use some kind of hormonal birth control. That's just, (laughs) that's where I am in my life.
0: Um. (laughs) Well, exactly. Like birth control. I mean, I've said this before, but like, you know, the invention of birth control has been like a major revolution for women and are the freedom, the relative freedoms that we have in the world. Right. So the fact that we have better options now than say like an oral contraceptive or something like that, like, like an IUD, it's like, it's such a massive win you know? Um, exactly. and I love, I love that I can like, you know, have that kind of protection and also, you know, have something that mitigates some of the downsides of my cycle. I mean, yeah. I like to call it the set it and
1: forget it birth control. <laughs> so Perfect. <laughs> perfect.
0: <laughs> um, so. okay. As a, as a journalist as well, we haven't talked much about your writing. We did, You did tell us a little bit about the Shred Girls, your, um, your series too. Um, but, and I want to tell listeners where to how to get that at the end. Um, but I'm wondering a little bit about how you, in talking to like world-class athletes, I know you've probably interviewed tons and tons of people. Like, have you picked up any performance tips that you would want to share with our audience from from them?
1: Yeah, for sure. I was thinking about this a little bit uh, as, as you know, you had sent me that question and uh, the number one person I always reference and this poor woman, I feel like she's like, probably hears about herself from, from me just constantly. It's like, why, why is Molly obsessed with me? So I apologize. (laughs) Um, I love Katerina Nash so much. Like she is one of just my absolute, like favorite athletes to mention as far as just a woman who's had this career that spans two decades, like multiple Olympic cycles, cross-country skiing, mountain biking, cyclocross, just all around tremendously talented woman. Um, And just so relaxed, like in the, I mean, and I'm sure, you know, her teen years and early career was different, but like her approach to training and nutrition is just so, just wonderful and holistic and just like, so like loving of like all of like the good things in life Mm. while still training like a beast. Mm
0: -hmm.
1: Um, So I, I, you know, talking to her, I just, I love it. Um, You know, she has, she has these dogs and she hikes and runs with them a ton. She does, you know, she's never stopped cross training, which I guess makes sense when you're a cross country skier and a professional mountain biker at the same time. Mm -hmm. Um, And just don't know her approach to stuff is just so so good um Mm -hmm. and you know she she's one of these women that I really look up to as far as I honestly like the fueling and stuff like I've been able to go out to eat with her a bunch of times and you know she actually eats
0: Mm -hmm.
1: regular food like big meals. She'll have a glass of wine with dinner. And like, that's great. There's no, there's no guilt associated with food. Like you see with, you know, I have gone out with some pro athletes where it's, you know, it is like that salad and dressing on the side and, you know, no mm. alcohol or like, oh, I'm doing like paleo, but also vegan and keto and like 18 different, uh, you know, intermittent antihistamine, fasting. Intermittent fasting <laughs> yeah. yeah. So those have like the air and that's fine. They're good. Um, so I've, I've always just appreciated that deeply about her. Uh,
0: <laughs> yeah. What I'm hearing there is like, and you've sort of said this earlier about being authentic. Like I think as women, sometimes like, if we can't even be sure necessarily that the training program will apply to us as is, or like getting caught up in like all kinds of numbers and expectations on a day-to-day basis, like might be the wrong approach for some people. Right. So that like, it's like fine to focus on numbers, but like, not if you lose track of like your authentic self and also like, listening to your instincts I think that's like where I'm going it's like sort of like I need to eat now I need to eat more I feel more relaxed like I feel more relaxed with my glass of wine in the evening Mm -hmm. like I cannot I could would not listen to an argument that told me that it was bad for me maybe I should but like you know I just I I feel like um a lot of people would do a lot better without that with a little bit less like a type must These are the lists of things that I have to have Mm -hmm. to do all the time. And a little more like listening to ourselves. A hundred percent. And I think this is my like rant
1: against wearables for like two seconds. I do think Mm -hmm. we've also like to that, to that end, we've really Mm -hmm. kind of like made, how do I want to say this? We've farmed out how we feel right? Like we now trust our, like our rings and our watches and our sleep trackers and all of this to tell us how we're feeling Mm -hmm. every day. Um, and I don't think that they're bad. I think they're great. If you can also like subjectively understand how you're actually feeling and really think about that. But Mm -hmm. what I really like, what grinds my gears and, and I'll say this, you know, applies for my husband too, who actually is like a full-time coach. Like Mm -hmm. when someone, you know, gets up and feels good, but their, their whoop score says otherwise, Wise, but they feel great, but they're not mm-hmm. going to do their training because their Whoop score said something that you know it says that they don't feel good. So now they've decided they don't feel good, even though they actually did feel good, mm-hmm. or vice versa. Like the Whoop says they're fine, but they feel like absolute cr- like crap, mm-hmm. and they still like go push it on the bike because their their Whoop said they were okay. Uh, this is not to throw Whoop under the buses like everywhereable. Like there's there is you know yeah they're subject to error. Like it happens. <laughs> Because I think to, to just let these, these wearables and these apps tell us how we're feeling is just really scary to me. That's, that's very like, I don't know. And now I feel like we're living in the matrix.
0: Right. No, totally. And I think I loved what you said before about like how, when I, when I asked you about your physiology and training and what you your, you, what made a difference for you? You said, I actually did the program, right? Like it's a, that's a very, very basic Right. Like, and I think that most people like here you are, you're extremely successful athlete. Right. And you're, and you're saying like, actually just follow the program. Like that's the very basic, simple thing. It's not this like complicated algorithm of all the things that you need to do. Um, And I think a lot of people would benefit from that. Like that kind of simple thinking, like I, like actually, am I doing am I trusting myself to do the best that I can do with the training that's right in front of me that a coach who knows what they're doing planned for me on this day, you know? And like, if you could check that box, you're like, you know, 90% of the way there. Exactly. Yeah. And admittedly also like being,
1: being like reasonable about it. So today I actually had dental work done and I'd planned on running afterwards, but it was like (laughs) a whole thing. And then like the, the dentist, I've never been to this woman before, but she's in town and we're it's a small town and i'm about to get up and she's like so i know you like to run um you can't do that for 24 hours and i was like oh no <laughs> <laughs> so i did have to tell my coach i couldn't run
0: today right. um, <laughs> So within reason. Within reason. <laughs> yeah. And also there's like the instincts piece, right? Like sometimes yeah. we just know we need a day off, or sometimes a medical professional tells us we need it and we should exactly. probably take it. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um
1: yeah. And I will say the other, the other thing that came to mind actually when you asked about like, great tips from, from Mm. pro athletes. I actually just posted this article about my, my pre-race rituals and sort of how I think about like my pre-race routine. So Mm -hmm. I was talking about like, Oh, like I, you know, I know I can have pizza pretty much anywhere in the world. Like pizza is really readily accessible. Mm -hmm. So that is my pre-race meal. I like don't overcomplicate it. It's just pizza. Mm-hmm. Um, and that actually made me realize, I think I actually kind of stole that from, I was interviewing uh, the Paralympian Oksana Masters, and mm-hmm. she actually just got gold in cross country in the Paralympics. And she's an amazing hand cyclist as well. She's just one of the coolest women on the planet.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, and she was telling me, she actually travels. Uh, she's, she's, she lives in the US, but she's from the Ukraine originally. And she actually travels with freeze dried borscht because that is what she has pre-race. Like she oh. needs to have that with her meal pre-race. So yeah. like, soup. Um, and she just brings like a camping version of it with her wherever she goes. <laughs> so she brought it to Tokyo. She brought it to the Paralympics. Um, and I thought that was just so amazing for like having this, this pre-race ritual and, you know, being like sticking to it, but not, but being smart about it. Right. Like she's right. not going to find borscht in like Tokyo, probably. Like, that's going to be a little tricky. Like, it's going to be tricky to find that in Middle America. So she brings freeze dried borscht. (laughs) Like, just so like smart and like thoughtful and like thinking ahead. And I love that. So I feel like that's, that's the energy I want to take into pre-race, except yeah. not with freeze-dried borscht. Cause that's not, kind of not precisely
0: freeze-dried borscht, but, but like that vibe. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> hey, I hear you. Simple is good for sure. with Stuff <laughs> like that. Um, okay. Molly, you are so full of wisdom. Um, I'm enjoying this so much. Can we, where can people find you? Like you have a, a podcast, correct? Called the consummate athlete. How do we find that? What do you talk about on it?
1: oh my gosh we talk about yeah pretty much all things endurance and sport related it started actually as like a much broader thing where we were talking like nascar people and like nfl players and like all of these different modalities because we were really mm-hmm. interested in like what makes like an all-around athlete and it's kind of honed into more like endurance sport now mm-hmm. um so we talked to athletes and experts and researchers and people who are doing really cool things in the field of endurance sport um mm-hmm. and that's over at consummateathlete.com and at consummateathlete on instagram um, and then, yeah, I'm over at Molly J. Herford on Instagram, um, and there you can find all of like the Shred Girls links and stuff. That's Shred-Girls.com. I realize I have a lot of links that come with me. I apologize. <laughs> um, I do a lot of things.
0: Yeah. <laughs> Don't apologize. That's the thing. Like that's that's where we started, you, right? Yeah, you, you know, know, know how it is. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, the Shred Girls. Okay, what age group is are the books for?
1: Uh, from about like eight to 12 is sort of that like middle grade, but I know kids as young as like five are getting it read to them at bedtime. And I know Mm -hmm. girls that are, you know, 16, 17 are are reading it and enjoying it. Uh, the latest one came out in November and it's all about bike packing, um, and has some of the, the, the foibles that I got into the first time I went bike packing gets gets snuck in there. I like, a. it's supposed to be more like fun, like reading like a babysitter's club book, but I do try to sneak in a few, like Little cycling specific tips and stuff like you know, keeping a gratitude journal or meditation get kind of oh, yeah flipped in there a little bit.
0: So yes. healthy living through fiction. <laughs> I love that. Okay, what has the response been to that series? It's been
1: really cool. Um, mm-hmm. You know, I get emails from from parents. I get letters from from girls um, from from both sides. I get you know letters and emails from parents whose whose daughters didn't like reading but they liked biking and now they mm-hmm. like reading because they got the books. And I have, you know, parents of bookworms who didn't do athletic stuff that are now getting out and riding because they read the books. So it's kind of like mm-hmm. doing both of those things. And yeah, it just makes my heart just like the happiest yes. anytime I see
0: that. Yes. And we've come full circle, like mission accomplished. Exactly. You know? <laughs> yeah. I,
1: I wrote the book that I needed when I was yeah. that age, which I think yes. is what most authors say about the books that they write is like, yeah. I wrote the thing I wanted to read. Um, I feel like this would have gotten me into it.
0: Yeah. I think we should all do, whether it's writing or not, like we should all do the things that we, that we think we're missing, like that's Mm -hmm. how else can we help in the world, but that, you know, exactly. Um, So well done for like following that and doing it, making it happen. Oh, thank you. Okay. Well, thank you. This has been so fun. And I'm so uh, excited
1: to get you on my podcast next. Yes,
0: me too. It's going to be a fun follow-up. Awesome. They stay in place when you are moving. The hydrophilic rubber nose pads actually get more grippy the more you sweat, so they are secure and don't slide down your face even when you're running in hot conditions. No matter what sport you do, Tafosi has shades for you. Whether you love tennis, fishing, pickleball, running, cycling, or just hanging out on the beach. They are super reasonably priced, which I love, so I can have multiple pairs that go with any outfit. And of course, feisty listeners get a special discount. So head on over to TafosiOptics.com and use the code FM20, FM as in feisty media, to get 20% off your order. That's FM20 at TafosiOptics.com. I'll put a link in the show notes to make it easy for you. And then use the code PERFORMANCE for 15% off your first purchase. That's code PERFORMANCE at lagoonsleep.com forward slash performance, whole 15% off, and the link is in the show notes. You can just click through there. Building muscle can be tough, and gains can be so slow, even for those of us who do a lot of strength training. As an ex-endurance athlete who is now in perimenopause, I know this all too well. It can be frustrating to put in the time in the gym and not see the results I'm looking for. That's why it's super important to take the right supplements at the right time. One of those supplements is essential amino acids, which are needed to trigger muscle protein synthesis. Muscle protein synthesis happens when you eat high quality protein like eggs or whey. And by supplementing with additional essential amino acids, you can make sure you are getting the full benefit of your training sessions. Targeted essential amino acid formulas can be up to four times more effective than just eating protein.